0: Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 8. 1 Kings chapter 17, and we'll be in verse 8 to begin with. There are two mothers in the Old Testament who saw God work in their lives in a dramatic display of power. One was the widow during the time of Elijah, the other a Shunammite woman in the time of Elisha. And both of these women saw their sons miraculously restored from death to life. There are several resurrections in the Bible, three in the Old Testament, six in the New, and then the resurrection of saints in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified and rose again. But instead of focusing on those great miracles that took place in their lives, I'd like to consider the faith of the first mother, the widow of Zarephath, and how God provided miraculously for her physical needs. Being a mother... Can be difficult at times. Moms have moms have a built-in love for their children. They make sacrifices to provide clothing, to give food to eat. Uh, they want their children to know that they are loved. And here's a woman who is at the end of her resources, and she was being tested to see if she would trust God and she passed the test and by doing that she provides us a wonderful example of uh, no matter what circumstances we might face in life God keeps his word he honors his faith or he honors faith and he will take care of you God's provision for a mother in Zarephath, title of the message begin in verse 8 and first point she was an unlikely candidate for God's blessing The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Elijah had just watched the brook Cherith dry up, and now God was telling him where he needed to go next. The Lord does that in our journey in life. He always tells us where the next step should be. Sometimes it's not early but it all he's always right on time that he gives us that guidance. This woman was a Gentile. She lived outside of Israel. She was a stranger to the covenant blessings that God had made with the children of Israel, his chosen people, and so an unlikely candidate for God to choose to bless. She lived in Zarephath. That was a place where metals were refined and In fact, the name Zarephath means a smelting furnace. There was a foundry in the city, and uh, the work was done there to purify metals through putting it through intense heat. It's interesting that Elijah the prophet was told to go there. God was refining him, and he was refining the faith of this widow as well. They were both going through the fires of testing, and God rewarded their obedience. He rewarded their faith. Zarephath, not only a place of of testing, it was a dangerous place. Elijah told Ahab back in verse 1, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And so they were in a famine. They were in a drought. And uh, it was all because of what Elijah told Ahab. The Canaanites worshipped the false god Baal, They thought Baal was in control of the weather. He controlled the sun and the rain. He controlled storms. He's usually depicted with a lightning bolt in his hand. He was responsible for the production of crops because of the rain that fell on the land. And Elijah's God, the one true God of Israel, was keeping Baal from doing his job, from sending rain. And so they're in this, drought, they're in a famine. Uh, King Ahab's wife, you remember who she was, Jezebel. Uh, You know her reputation. There's a reason we don't name our daughters Jezebel. Um, But this is a dangerous place. Zarephath was loaded 50 miles, about 50 miles, north of Mount Carmel. That's easy to remember on your map because it juts out into the Mediterranean Sea. But it's described, Zarephath, in in verse 9, as belonging to Zidon. It was eight miles south of Zidon, or Sidon. Thirteen miles north of Tyre. Sidon was where Jezebel's father lived. His name was Ethbaal. It was the home of the priests of Baal that she had sitting at her table. At the end of this three-and-a-half-year drought, there's a standoff that we're all familiar with, with Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And that's where her prophets were slain. And yet in this unlikely, out-of-the-way and dangerous place, God chose to bless a woman who responded in simple faith and in amazing obedience to him. God often showed that while the Jews were his chosen people, He rewarded faith in those who were outside of the nation of Israel. There's a New Testament reference that shows how the ministry of Jesus was similar to that of Elijah. It's Matthew 16 and verse 4. The disciples were saying that some people thought Christ and Elijah were the same. They they were confusing the two identities. Because the only place that Jesus went to the Gentiles outside of Israel was Tyre and Sidon. That's where Jesus went to heal the Syrophoenician woman's daughter, Matthew 15. He also, you might think, well, he went to the Samaritans, didn't he? Yes, but Samaria was in the boundaries of Israel. And so there's that connection with Elijah and Christ. Well, don't ever think that just because of where you were born or how you were raised, that you are somehow at a disadvantage, that God can't work in your life. God often uses those whose lives are considered uh, out of the way, unlikely candidates for his grace. He often chooses to use just them. This lady was a widow. She didn't have much of the world's possessions. Being a widow in biblical times was... Was extremely difficult. And now there's this drought in the land, and Elijah was the one who prayed that that rain wouldn't come, and it, had, it won't rain for three and a half years. But God cares about widows. I love the verses in Scripture that talk about widows and orphans. In the Old Testament, well, there are three at least um, Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6. A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. It's <laughs> a wonderful phrase. You might feel alone, but God will put you among friends. He often does that in the church family. And it's a wonderful answer of this uh, or fulfillment of this psalm 68 verse six. He'll take care of you. Psalm 146 verse nine, the Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and widow. Proverbs fifteen twenty-five: The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the border of the widow. Proverbs are written in parallels, and the, the proud and the widow are set in contrast with each other, and so is the house and the border. God will give you a place to live. He will put you in a place where you are protected. And so God cares about widows. In Luke 24, Jesus ran into opposition in his hometown in Galilee. He went into the synagogue of Nazareth where he had grown up, and and they said, Isn't this the son of Joseph? He said, You'll surely say to me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have done in Capernaum do also in thy country." And in verse 24, he said, no prophet is accepted in his own country. I say that because in the context, he'll go right into this story that, uh, that, that we're reading about today, this narrative of Elijah and this widow. In Luke 14:25 and 26. But I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias when the heaven was shut up three years and six months when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. He also told about Elisha going to Naaman. And they got the point that Jesus was making. It said they were filled with wrath. They wanted to take him to the brink of the city there and throw him off the cliff. Why was that? Because they were jealous. Why would the prophets go outside of Israel? And God chose to use this widow who was a Gentile to sustain the prophet Elijah. He often bypasses those that we think would be used, could, should be used, and chooses the weak things to confound the mighty, Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter, 20, uh, chapter 1, verse 29. He tells us why he, God chooses those kinds of people, so that no flesh will glory in his presence. She was an unlikely candidate for God's blessing. Secondly, God challenged this mother to stretch her faith by providing for others in spite of her own poverty. Let's look at verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but an handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruse." And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. <laughs> Elijah arose and went. God had told him in verse 9, Arise, go to Zarephath. So he arose and went to Zarephath. He obedient to everything that God tells him to do. And he meet, meets this widow and asks her for water and bread. How, how would you feel if you were to go to someone that you knew had one meal left in their pantry and say, could I have that? <laughs> how would you ask? we try to, well, I, I don't want to impose, but this is what the Lord wants me to do. <laughs> what a difficult thing to even ask. And he met the widow at the gate of the city. She was gathering sticks for a fire. Uh, One commentary says, when he entered the town, he tested the first widow he saw by asking her for a drink. Her favorable response led him to request a piece of bread. I think, as I read this text, that she knew Elijah was coming. The Lord said to Elijah in verse 9, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. And and I know that word commanded can be used two ways. It can be used, I have ordained this, I have planned this, but I I rather think it can mean also, it's it's a very common word in the Old Testament, a command, a statement, something that was revealed to her. The Lord did that in the New Testament in Acts chapter 9. He told Ananias to go to the house of Judas on a street called Straight, and there he would meet someone named Saul Or like Cornelius who was told about Peter in Acts 10. So I think that this widow knew what was coming. Elijah had been getting bread and flesh or meat at the brook Cherith. Remember the ravens came twice a day and delivered his uber meal. Now he'll be on a diet of bread If if God wants you, if God changes your diet and He wants to sustain you with bread instead of what you're used to, will you be content? Elijah was content without the meal because the bread, he knew, was miraculously provided by God. This widow responded honestly "I, I, I don't have anything, I have very little. She knew Elijah was from Israel. Besides being dressed in his unusual camel skin and leather belt, he probably wore his mantle that showed that he was a prophet. And she gave her answer, calling on his God as witness to her words. Notice, Lord is in all capital letters, as the the Lord thy God liveth, as Jehovah lives. First she told him what she didn't have. I don't have a cake. I don't have what you're asking for. And then she told him what she did have. A handful of meal in a barrel. Now, when we look at that word barrel, we think, well, that's quite a bit of food. But a barrel, the word here could mean just a small clay jar that she kept her grain in. And then the cruise could be a saucer or a small clay vessel with oil in it. It wasn't much. And she told him her plans for those meager ingredients. I'm, I'm gathering two sticks. So the word two there is shanim. It can mean several or more than one. So she's gathering these sticks to build a fire so that I can go in and dress it and prepare it for me and my son. In the next part of this narrative, we'll see that that son dies. We refer to it already as the miracle as Elijah brought him back to life or God did through the hands of Elijah. And it says there that Elijah carried the child to the loft. It was upstairs where he stayed. So I'm thinking that this was a preschool-aged child, someone whom he could carry. And she's saying, I'm just going to make this so that he and I can eat, and it'll be our last meal, so that we may eat it and die. It's the last of our food. It's inevitable that this is our last meal. We're going to starve. And how this mother's heart must have been torn between providing for this small child and giving the food away to Elijah. No one would think she would be selfish for saying no to this request. But she knew that if she did, she would be saying no to God also. Last point, verses 13 through 16, God provided as she obeyed. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meat shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. Oh, Elijah asked her, you go ahead and, and go ahead with those plans that you've made. But first, would you make me the cake and then bring it to me? And then, after that, make one for your son and for yourself. He gave a word of comfort, fear not. It's often scary to step out in faith, isn't it? He, he was asking her for something very unusual. He gave the task in simple understandable terms. Go and do as you've said, make the cake for you just like you were planning but then he gave this additional task and that was the critical test of her faith. Make me therefore a little cake first. There are two important words that struck me as I was studying this passage this week. Look carefully at that that word, little. God does not ask for great faith, but he says, can you just take this one small step of faith? Can you trust me in this one small area of your life? It's the mustard seed faith that he blesses. It's the small lunch that's given into the hands of Jesus that feeds multitudes. It's the meager thing that God has placed in your hands that when you give it to him, he will use it and you will be amazed at what God will do. And your faith will be strengthened because you trusted him. If you look back at Elijah's first requests. You'll notice the same thing. When he he arrived at Zarephath, in verse 9, he said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Verse 10, Fetch me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread. Little is much when God is in it. Notice also the word first. First. The children of Israel, when they were harvesting their grain, would give the first fruits back to the Lord. And in doing that, they showed that they were trusting God for the remainder of the harvest, that there would be more to follow those first fruits. What a great lesson! We do not offer to God what's left over. What time is left after we've spent the day for ourselves? What strength we have when we're worn out. What monies are left in the paycheck after all the things that we've bought for that we think that we need. God says, give to me first. And watch what I can do. I can't help but see the contrast between this widow's generosity and another character in the Old Testament, Nabal. David's men went to Nabal and asked for food, and Nabal said, Who is David, and who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread, and my water, and my flesh, that I have killed for my servants, and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? Oh, she was totally different, wasn't she? The Bible says in Matthew 10:41, He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. The widow of Zarephath did just that. She received a prophet. She gave her last meal and a place to live. And God rewarded her faith with food for her household. Elijah gave her a promise based on the word of the Lord. And she looked, uh, she, she listened to what he said. And she took God at his word. It's a wonderful thread that runs throughout chapter 17 that we can follow that teaches us that we can trust what God has to say when we're obedient to it. It started in verse two. The word of the Lord came unto him. This was to Elijah, telling him where to go next. In verse five, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. In verse eight, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, "Arise, get thee to Zarephath." Now here in verse four, uh, in verse fourteen. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meat shall not waste, neither shall the of oil fail. Verse 16, that same thing happened. They didn't run out of food. According to the word of the Lord. And if you go all the way down to the very last verse in the chapter, and this is after her son has been restored from death to life, she says, Now this I know, that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. You can trust what God has to say. You can trust his word. What were the details of the promise about her meal and oil? The container of meal shall not waste. The word there means to come to an end, to be depleted. Neither shall the crews of oil fail. Those two things that she said I have very little of. Shall not fail, decrease, lessen, be abated. For how long? Until the Lord sends rain upon the earth. That would mean that the drought was over and the crops would begin to grow again. We don't know for sure how long it was for Elijah to be by the brook Cherith and then it dried up. Uh, 1 Kings 18.1 says that God told Elijah to go to Ahab in the third year of the drought. So he was probably fed by the widow of Zarephath for at least as long as two years. And she obeyed God, verses 15 and 16. And she went and did, according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruse of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. Verse 13, he said, Fear not, go and do. And she went and did exactly what Elijah asked. She and he, Elijah, and her house, her son, did eat for many days, almost two years. The grain did not run empty. The crews of oil never ran dry. And there's a reminder that this miracle was all based on God's promises according to the word of the Lord. Well, that's the narrative. And we can learn a lot from it today. God keeps his word. He honors faith. And he takes care of you. Will you trust the promises of God in your life? Some of you have never trusted Christ as as your Savior. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a wonderful promise. If you've waited and put it off in your life and say, I'll get around to it someday, today is the day to step out in faith. Trust Christ as your Savior. Be safe today. Believe his promise. Maybe he's asking you to do something that stands in the way, to to get rid of something that stands in the way of your obedience to him. And as we've been going through this passage, you've thought about that little thing that he wants you to do. That matter of faith. Only you and him know about it, maybe. Are you willing to be obedient? Set aside the fear. Set aside the rationalization that this is not a good move. If God has told you to do something, it's the best move you can make. And I trust that today will be the day that you surrender that area. And remember that God will take care of you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this narrative in First Kings and for the obedience of the prophet and for the obedience of this mother. We thank you for the, the way that you have used it today to speak to our hearts. And I pray that if there's one here who does not know Christ as Savior, that today will be the day of salvation. And for the one that's been hesitant and holding back because of uh, fear and reservation, may they, in knowing exactly what you have to say to them, be obedient to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll stand and sing 158 as an invitation hymn. It's a little unusual for an invitation hymn, but I I think it says best what we need to hear this morning. 158, God will take care of you. If there's a decision you need to make and would like to pray with someone, we invite you to come as we sing this closing hymn today. Would you come? No matter what may be the test. It might be tomorrow. You might already be in the middle of a test now. But know that God will take care of you as you trust him during that. Let's sing that last verse. will The phrase enough times in that last hymn to remember that he will take care of you don't worry god is good he's faithful he will get you through let's keep trusting in him well i'd like to remind you of the service tonight at six o'clock will be in romans chapter 12 verses one and two we've waited a long time in the book of romans to get to this practical section And there isn't a better highlight than those two verses to start that practical section. So I trust you'll be here tonight at 6 o'clock. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have to meet in this country, to pray, to sing your praises. We pray that you will give us a boldness now to carry the good news of salvation to those that we see from day to day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.